is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 192, operating on July 31st, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We are here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, we have a special guest today who is fresh from EAA Oshkosh. The listeners have maybe heard me rant about Ryan and Patrick all the time because we go out every night, almost it seems like. They are my newfound resident app geeks at work. Well, here's half of my debrief crew. We got Patrick on today. <laughs> I would have brought air. We would have blown up this this whole episode if I brought Ryan because it would have been too much. It would have been Avgeek <laughs> overkill. So we will have Ryan on soon. But for now, welcome, Patrick. Hey, great to be here. Finally get to be on the show and be able to talk with uh, C. Doug, actually meet him for one time. After I've heard so much. Welcome, Patrick. As Drew says, you'll listen to this episode in like three years. And don't worry, we'll, <laughs> the listeners will understand what we're talking about. He'll have, he'll have, he'll have kids by then. <laughs> yeah. We'll be at, we'll be at uh, Jimmy's one night and I'll tell Drew about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll tell Drew in like two years that you listen to this episode. Yeah, Drew confirms that you're a true av geek. You work on the move team hauling multi-million dollar, hundreds of millions of dollars, not just multi-million dollar hundreds of million of dollars airplanes like toys you're a future aircraft mechanic you were able to make an avgeek dream come true by visiting oshkosh this week before we talk about oshkosh and i have a lot of notes because i've been following on social media i've seen mm-hmm. everything that was there i have all the notes of all the amazing things that you probably saw patrick oh yeah tell us and tell the listeners who maybe don't know what oshkosh air show is tell us about it oshkosh air show it's a week long in reality more like two weeks long by the looks of it, fly in at Oshkosh Regional Air, the Oshkosh Airport in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It is sponsored by EAA, which is the uh, Experimental Aircraft Association. They run a program where they they do everything from trying to recruit people to just get into aviation to helping fund new types of aircraft, which I did get to take a look at, and we can talk about that later on the show. I heard this year... They had 10,000 planes registered to come into this regional airport. Wow. Anyone who follows Flight Radar 24 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you've probably seen the screenshots of everyone holding. I, I've, I've actually flown an airplane into Oshkosh before, and the, all the instructions are crazy. It's harder than, than getting into <laughs> O'Hare, than getting into Heathrow, because you have to hold at certain points. And, and anyone who's seen those screenshots... And I guess today a bunch of airplanes were leaving, and I saw a screenshot. 200 airplanes at least were on the taxiway, just lined up, re- ready to go. When you've got 10,000 airplanes to fly in for a couple of days, when everyone has to leave, it's crazy. So you can uh, go look up the aerial shots of Oshkosh, which is really cool. So look that up. You'll see the very condensed portions. That's all the cars. Then you'll see what looks like another parking lot, just a little bit. Everything's a little bit more spaced out. That's all the aircraft out there. Like you look at it, it gives you a scale of just how big it is. Yeah, it's probably just all airplanes and no concrete or no grass because there's so many airplanes. Sounds like Newark on a summer day. <laughs> it, it it's crazy because one of the runways actually paint these circles and they're they're like three circles on the runways and they're colored different colors. And air traffic control will clear three airplanes to land at the same time. They'll tell them which color to land on. So you'll have like three uh, airplanes that land on a ten thousand foot runway at the same time on these different colors. It's absolutely nuts. Sunday the 23rd, the right before Oshkosh started, they were doing some, you know, you're getting all the mass arrivals, people coming in. Someone landed opposite direction of those circles. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's already come out. This airport, so it's Whitman Field. So for that week, it becomes the busiest airport in the world by movements. And I've seen some flight radar images where it's a whole line of general aviation aircraft stretching for hundreds of miles. So pretty cool. Now, Patrick, you've you've blown up our our um, WhatsApp chat with all kinds of pictures, videos from Oshkosh. I haven't asked Patrick what his favorite parts were because I wanted to save it for the show. What were some of your favorite events or planes from the event? Obviously, one of the best parts is walk around Boeing Plaza, which is where they have their stag displays which all, with all their biggest stuff. This year, while I was there, they had the uh, Super Guppy, mm-hmm. which is a 
old. It's an offshoot of the Electra. As you talk, I have the list of things that I've seen mm-hmm. on social media, and I'm checking them off. So whatever you don't mention, I'm going to bring up. But I'm yeah, check yeah. like keep going i'm checking them off as <laughs> as you talk there was the dream lifter sitting mm-hmm. front and center there that that was awesome walking that walking in the main entrance and just behind all the behind all the tents of everybody you see the dream lifter head on you had the millennium phenom which is a in which is an embraer phenom painted in a star wars livery huh. coast guard help coast guard blackhawk was there f15d which is a trainer it's a two-seater f15 f15c one-seater, F-15, A-10, KC-135, no KC-46 for you, Doug. I'm sorry. <laughs> no yeah, no KC-46. Doug, you got to fly that in one of these one of these years. Uh, C-17 was there, and that's the majority of what was in Boeing Plaza. And then off to the side where we couldn't see it was the rest of the A-10s from the Maryland International Guard, which, true, you see all the time. Mm-hmm. E-18 Growlers, which, is, which are F-18 Super Hornets reconfigured for special warfare which is uh, electronic warfare so jam- so jamming there was the f-22 raptor so did he get everything <laughs> can, no no can, can i can i mention what what you missed the, the u2 was there i haven't gotten to that yet southwest 737 max okay. and delta a350 and there's now a c5 galaxy in there yeah oh. the dream left and super guppy have left the u2 drew i sent you that picture from the u2 the mm-hmm. pilot took a selfie or like had a gopro or something as he took, and I well, I, I saw the video of him taking off, and he did an unrestricted climb to forty thousand feet. For uh-huh. anyone who has never seen a U two fly, probably one of the loudest takeoffs you're ever going to hear. The U two is a oh my god, that thing was it, did it's you see so it? loud. It's, that thing was screeching. It, it's it, yeah, I did. I didn't expect it to be that loud. I I don't know why. I never expected. It. Yeah, if 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 you've never seen a U two take off, it is amazing. It is so loud. They did an unrestricted climb up to forty thousand feet, and the the ADSB, the Flight Radar Twenty Four, shows him circling above the field. And that selfie that I sent you, Drew, you can see the entire airfield. You can see all ten thousand mm-hmm. airplanes. You can see all the cars. You can see all the people. It's absolutely incredible. That that was awesome. Was Doc there? The B twenty nine that Drew and I saw in Wichita? Because oh, yes. I know they I they, they go every year. I don't think Doc was actually the one that was coming in. They had a different one come in who was it that flew in i can't remember which one it was right now i think it was uh mitchell i have a question for you because i was flying on friday in in the midwest i I was flying a kc-46 on friday friday was the day that everyone was heading in i heard some people on the radio and i have some questions for you i heard a yak experimental was there a yak 110 or like a yak 55 that was there because i heard them calling on the radio and we were talking in the flight deck. We're like, oh, they're probably on their way to Oshkosh. I don't remember seeing one. Were the Thunderbirds there? Because I heard the Thunderbirds on the radio too. Thunderbirds were not there They were not. This year. Okay, so they were probably going to a different air show, which that's actually... I think Thunderbirds are actually showing up this weekend. Oh, are they? I think they are. I think they're headlining the weekend. Was it what you expected? Yes, it was what I expected with all the nerdage there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's very cool to go see. And it's, very, it's a very good thing to go do, but... I honestly expected a bit more of the commercial side to be seen mm-hmm. because I uh, I found the uh, GE booth over there and I was so excited to go just go nerd out with them about like the G9 or something. Mm-hmm. They're over there with their with their general aviation engines, mm-hmm. you know, piston driven on the 172, 150. All of us, I'm, including Ryan, who's not here, like a Jimmy's, we kind of gravitate towards commercial aviation. We know a little bit about military, and I think even the military aircraft. Doug, you flew a DC, basically a DC-10, a KC-10. You're fl- now flying a KC-46, basically a 767. I love the military planes that I love are actually the transports. So it's those mm-hmm. two: the C-5 Galaxy, the uh, C-17. So I would gravitate towards those. I, I can tell the listeners, Oshkosh. It, I would say probably the most famous air shows in the world, the ones that we hear about and we've talked about and we know. You've got Farnborough in England. You've got the Paris Air Show. You've got the Dubai Air Show. Those aren't every year. Those are every other mm-hmm. year. Oshkosh is the biggest air show in the world when it comes to aircraft movements. It's like the Super Bowl for general aviation. You do get the fighters that come in. Uh, I think UPS, actually, the year that I was there, I, I flew a KC-10 in 2018. UPS on a... MD-11 in. There was an F-22 demo team, I, th- I think. Those are very splashy 
everyone looks at you know, they they love watching them but at the end of the day when the discussion happens it's all about ga general aviation it's all, all these all, all the the people who fly their 1952 cessna 172s in <laughs> yep. or their home-built airplanes I, I have a buddy who i flew with in the air force he built his his own airplane he flies it to oshkosh every year in fact I won't say the airline that we work for, Drew, but every year around Oshkosh, we get a message to the pilot saying, we're going to watch your sick time that mm-hmm. you request around the week of Oshkosh. <laughs> right. Because so, yeah, you're so, always... many of our, so many of our pilots call in sick so that they yeah. can fly their airplanes into Oshkosh. It's right. not about the military. It's not about commercial aviation. It's all about general aviation. When, and yeah. when you see the pictures of it, and you, you have these fields with 10,000 GA airplanes. They even have a seaplane base up on Lake Winnebago, just up the road, where hundreds, if not thousands, of seaplanes fly in. Oshkosh is not about commercial aviation, even though big airplanes show up. It's not about the military, even though they have like very flashy displays. It's all about the GA aircraft and the pictures that you see of people setting up tents under their wings camping on the field mm-hmm. like uh, it, it, cool. it is that that is the beginning of aviation for everyone's journey is oshkosh just like what just what you were saying if commercial airplanes show up it's more more like a photo op because it's does not it's not focused on commercial aviation yeah and eric who was on the show he was on the um travel agent and av geek episode he works for an airline now and his airline flew in an a350 and i was very jealous about that because i wish our airline would flown something hint hint for next year Eric was able to meet Patrick. So I got a little photo op with, with Eric and Patrick. <laughs> he wasn't even able to text me back after they landed. I didn't get a text from them till almost three o'clock because he was oh, so, so busy, busy all day. So they were sitting up there greeting the the attendees at Oshkosh as they walked through the aircraft. Because they take them on a tour. They walk oh, them wow. through the aircraft. Okay. When I flew the 10 into Oshkosh, I worked the tour for like five days. And it was nonstop. We, we had to shut the line off because the Oshkosh people told us the gates are closing in like an hour. We have to get these people out. So you're going to have to stop the line so they can see your airplane and they can leave. And we, we actually had to tell people, sorry, this is the end of the line. And I had yeah. to stand there as the line got shorter uh, like pushing people away saying sorry you can't come on the airplane because the gates are closing not me it's it's the security people who are telling me this uh you guys yeah. were talking about how oshkosh is the big for general aviation it absolutely is so the two biggest areas in there probably the biggest area for like actual aircraft side is the home built area that takes yeah. up like at least a third of the actual i guess show real estate yeah not like all the campgrounds the show real estate, and then another probably eighth of it is the warbirds, which are that's another thing of generation of people restoring like P fifty ones, F fours. So that seems to be it. Experimental aircraft association, right? The home built, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that is yeah. The focus. That, I mean that that's why my buddy who built his plane loves going to Oshkosh every year, and and he's yeah. front and center, and every, everyone loves walking around the ground seeing that. It drew. If, I, I know you haven't been. You have to go. It isn't. Awesome I have been. Even, oh, you have. I have okay. been. Uh, probably before Patrick was. Well, definitely before Patrick was born. So I went with my buddy Joel when we worked for Reno Air. We okay. went to Oshkosh. It was, was great. Here now. Yeah, when it was launched, and it was like the mod. It was uh, the Kitty Hawk and uh, some bikes. <laughs> That's all that was there. <laughs> oh my God, he's like Tyler. All right. Well, thank you again. As we go along, if you remember anything, Patrick, just uh, interject more stories from Oshkosh. Doug, you are officially a my my Pegasus, not my pony. My, or my, my little my little Pegasus. My little Pegasus. Yes. Pilot, you're a KC four. You you are certificated to fly a KC forty six, which for the listeners is a modified seven sixty seven two hundred, which is a military tanker and transport. How do you feel? <laughs> It's crazy. I, I it hasn't sunk in yet. I I know I texted you in the group. I literally I went to training expecting that I would be there for maybe six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, like best case scenario, three weeks. I finished in less than two weeks. So it, right. I don't know. You hit the ground it, it, running. It has not it has not sunk in yet. I had my check ride yesterday. It was awesome. I texted someone and I told them, and you're going to laugh about this, Drew. They're asking how it flies. I said it flies like mm-hmm. a 
there is no triple seven one hundred. But if I, I fly the two hundred and the three hundred, if I were to yeah. take those two airplanes, the seven sixty seven two hundred flies like a miniature version of the triple. I hate <laughs> to say it was so easy, but it was so easy mm-hmm. coming from the triple. It really yeah. was not that much different. And kudos to Boeing. I know that Airbus gets a lot of props from pilots. You could fly an A320 one day. You could fly an A330 the next day. And they, they try and make it as, as similar as possible. Boeing yeah. has taken Airbus's model. And they are trying to do that with their products. And I, yeah. can, I can tell you, going from the triple to the 767-200, the, the mm-hmm. newest version, the KC-46 is absolutely the newest version of the 7.6. They have tried to make it as close to to the same as possible. So the transition actually wasn't that difficult. Patrick, what do we call it? The 767 Max. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. It, it's a 760, 767 Max. Exactly. And I've seen uh, yes. pictures that you sent to Drew, and it literally does look like you walk into a you walk into a 737-800NG, you walk into a 737 Max 8. It right. looks the exact same if you're walking into preparing on seven six level. One of the coolest pictures you sent me, um, and I, I, I think I sent it to Patrick and Ryan also. Is you're in part of the training? It was like refueling for um, formation flying because you had a KC thirty five in front of you, and you were turning. Was that were you training on how to fuel while in a pattern or a, a holding pattern? Yeah, you sent me a message and you asked me. It, uh refueling in a turn is that normal we have to we have to train on that and i think i responded to you and i said yeah because we can't fly straight forever i mean we could but we would run out like both airplanes would run out of gas or we would fly into airspace that we don't want to fly into you have to learn how to take gas in a turn we call it an anchor but basically the the tanker turns and while you are in contact, while you're touching the other airplane, taking gas from them through the boom, you have to turn. Turning is a lot harder than going straight and level. That's part of our training. We have to learn how to do it in the turn. And yeah, the picture I sent you was me sitting in the jump seat with a KC-135 at sunset in the turn, taking the gas. That's part of the training so that when we're out there in the real world, we know how to turn when the tanker turns. These airplanes, it's so much autopilot, right? So when an airplane is in a holding pattern, the autopilot does it. So if you're in a pattern with a KC-46 and a KC-135 that's fueling it, are you in a pattern or are both of the pilots hand-flying it? Yeah, it's, but both pilots are hand-flying at that point. That's awesome. Yeah, no All automation. Right. All right, anything else on the KC-46? Glad to be done. I cannot wait to get. <laughs> I cannot <laughs> wait to get back to my family. Cannot wait to get back to the company. Cannot wait mm-hmm. to stop cramming and studying. It's like going to college. It's like doing an, an entire college course again. Every yeah. time you learn a new airplane, I'm done. I fly home tomorrow. I cannot wait to just get back to normal life and not wake up in the middle of the night thinking about all these checklists, everything that I have to memorize, all of that stuff. It's done. Time to move on. Drew, while Patrick was enjoying himself at Oshkosh and I was enjoying myself cramming and flying and not sleeping, it seems like your week was just about the same as mine. Maybe not yeah. like Patrick's. So Patrick is sending me these, these awesome pictures from Oshkosh. You're sending me 767 formation, formation flying in beautiful, <laughs> with, with beautiful views and everything. And I am getting hammered at work. <laughs> so just to give you an example, this is just one day. Just one day, we had seven with thunderstorms, seven New York-bound diversions. The ramp closed two times. We had all these delays, all these misconnected passengers and bags. Oh, we had backup set customs because the loads are so full and we're just trying to get everyone on planes. And on top of it, right right when I thought everything was calming down, the gate manager walks over and is like, hey, um, airport ops called. The wheel came off one of the lounges. I'm like, okay, so I can add that to my shift report. Also, the wheel came, wheels came off the bus. <laughs> what, is that a metaphor? The wheel came off the lounge? or <laughs> No, the wheel actually actual... came off. The actual wheel actually came <laughs> off the, the mobile physical, lounge. The physical wheel came off the mobile lounge. <laughs> it's not a metaphor. You know, initially we're like, right, is anyone injured? So it turns out it was 43 people on that lounge. And we couldn't, we're trying to find a camera on the airport where we could see it. And there we find it and there's a lounge and it's like kind of tilted. <laughs> I'm like, please I'm call sorry. them again. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It's like I'm this. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he's sending me the picture and I'm I'm sitting watching the air show. I'm watching T six Texans fly by. No, these guys these guys are laughing at it. It's like, no, I'm not this is not funny. Thankfully no one was injured. They ramp transferred. It was like it was like the KC forty six, but they were transferring people and not fuel to another lounge. <laughs> So they did a ramp transfer. I don't know how they made it like match up because the other lounge, I, I don't know. They did it somehow. Brought the people they, uh, to the... I thought they got onto the ramp and then walked up the stairs onto the other one. Did they not? No, I don't think so because it was one of the ones that doesn't go up and down. <laughs> that <happened. laughs> so you, didn't, you didn't even have the one that matches up. Yeah, so, no. so it's like the, so it's like the uh, D-gate one, right? It's the D-gate one. Yeah, so maybe one the one stairs. that goes... It's got stairs? The D-gate one? No, the D-gate one... Oh, I, I don't know where the stairs are. Maybe it's, um, it's like a DB Cooper stairs. The DB Cooper stairs. It like plops down. But anyway, so they moved people. Um, so we had a customer service customer service agents to meet them. Everyone was fine. And at that point, yeah, it was absolutely hilarious. Now that we know that no one got hurt, I'm like now sending these guys. <laughs> and they're like laughing emojis. Not it wasn't like, oh my God, I hope you're okay and you know, I hope everything calms down. No, they're, they're like, this is hilarious. <laughs> That was my week. Drew, it sounds like a rough week for you guys. Let's brush that off like a wheel falling off a mobile lounge and get back to our guest. <laughs> Too soon. Pat- Patrick, your first AvGeek credentials. This is our standard question for all AvGeek guests. Tell us a moment or moments in your life when you knew that aviation was in your blood. What was the first time that you actually realized that? For most of my life, I've grown up here in the D.C. area. Where I live, we are on the approach into D.C.A., me and my friends would be throwing a ball around and then, you know, coming over here is a Southwest 737 going into DCA. So it's always been around me a lot. Plus growing up in the military, we used to go to the, um, we used to go to the military air shows on the bases whenever they came around. I think the first, I think where I finally, where I really figured out aviation was for me. I was out in, I was living out in Hawaii. There's a street that goes down to the end at the reef runway down there, which is the scenic Point where everything takes off from been there quite a few times i know ex- I, I can picture exactly what you're talking about i sit down there all day 747s 8380s triple seven seven six seven seven thirty seven seven one sevens everything taken off out of there and just just to cap off the day f-22s come out from the hawaii Air national guard come out and turn right in front of you it's one of my favorite i remember that so vividly was just sitting out there and plane spotting all day long. If you ask a lot of people like us, whether they're pilots, airport ops, move team, mechanics, whatever, why did you want to go into the field? And it's basically, you can basically encapsulate it. We just want to be around planes. I mean, that when it comes down to it, that's it. I mean, you want to do a little bit more than just watch. And that's, that's what we're doing. Patrick, I know you love planes like we all do here, but even more specifically, you love engines. What are your favorite planes and engines? And remember, this is a one-hour show. We've we're already talking so much; it's all it's reaching that right now. So Doug is going to have quite an edit. Um, <laughs> we don't want to lose any. I don't think we'll lose listeners because it's all interesting stuff. But what are your favorite engines, planes, and engines? Favorite planes, obviously the seven forty seven. I'm literally wearing a hoodie that has seven forty seven on it. That I got it. Oshkosh. That's a gimme for everybody. Triple seven mostly for the GE90. Whenever it's pushing out of our station, I'll go out there. I'll stand right at the edge of the of the gate, and as the engines fire up, you can feel it shake you as you're going down. Very cool engine. I would say the 787 is a is a very cool aircraft. I I do love the uh, science behind the 787, but it is still a very it's still a very early aircraft. I'd say G and X is the G and X's are very cool. They have a very Nice thrust to weight ratio. There are what a eight to one bypass, I think, on the GNX. Greg definitely will <laughs> reach out to us if that's incorrect. Our resident engine expert who works for an engine manufacturer. Yeah, I think you might be right, Patrick. I, I I've heard nine to one is the most I've ever heard. Now you you flew a seven eight seven for the first time. One thing that I I love the seven eight seven. I think it's a very elegant aircraft, but it as a passenger, it's so it's boring because it's so quiet. It was. It, my routing out was um, straight and back. Um, I flew from home station here in Washington, D.C. out to Chicago. And then uh, we drove up into Wisconsin. And then we drove from Oshkosh back down, um, went to Chicago back to D.C. 787 both ways. Here's the active part of my the active part of the routing for me. Leaving D.C., I was in front of the engine and got a good view of Chicago on the inbound. On the inbound. 
So I got to see the engine and hear the roar more on the takeoff, which was very nice. And I got to just uh, watch the whole show from up there. And you're right, it is so quiet. I took a good like 30 minute nap on there. And it was so quiet that like I didn't realize I had what? stopped listening. You did. You did what? <laughs> you on an hour first, and a half flight. <laughs> an hour and a half flight. Your first seven eight seven flight, and you took a nap. Drew, let's move on to the next topic. I told you staying that's with, how that's, staying on the engine that's topic. How, <laughs> that's how soothing the seven eight seven is. It even makes av geeks so relaxed. No, it's, they fall it, asleep. It's boring. What am I gonna do when I run at thirty three thousand feet? Uh, just I don't know. Glue your watch the engines, to the watch window. movies. Yeah, that's what like, it's so press boring. The button, press the button that dims the window. I can think of a million things that you can do for ninety minutes on a seven eight seven on your first flight. <laughs> it was all. It was also like six a.m. and I usually wake up at ten. So. Doug, you have to understand. This is not a morning person. So these guys. So <laughs> I don't care. Pat, I don't care if it's a morning person. No, no, you don't understand. When we when I leave Jimmy's at two a.m. if they let me, because. I, I it's late it's very late they go home not to sleep they go home to do other stuff do laundry whatever take a shower and then they go to bed at 5 a.m so this is a morning departure and this is a sore spot for me because i was going to chicago oh. on the way to see who's i i can't remember now but patrick was going to join me and we're going to fly the 787 yeah you're going to see doug in wichita no Right, but you oh, was that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was that. Yeah, and I was yeah. So I got. Pat- I was going to continue on to Houston. He's checked in. It the flight leaves at eight twenty five. It is now eight ten, eight thirteen. I'm like, he's going to run up here any moment. I, I'm like, right, I'm getting on the plane. So I'm watching. He's still checked in. They've given him a seat assignment. Still waiting. They close the door. It's like, I just got Patricked. <laughs> <laughs> didn't show up. He's when he woke up. We were halfway to Chicago. I mean, these are not more. This is not a morning person. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Let's stay on this engine topic. Let's power up our news segment and get some work done. Pratt and Whitney this week continue to have problems with their PW one thousand G family of engines. They're now recalling one thousand two hundred of them for inspections. These engines are on the A three twenty Neo family, which includes the A three twenty one Neo. Raytheon, who owns Pratt & Whitney, said that the inspections are required as a result of what they call contaminated, I'm, I'm going to have to read this probably a couple times, contaminated powdered metal that was used in the engines on stage one and stage two high pressure turbine discs. The PW1100G reliability issues have about 10% of the aircraft powered by these engines. They're all out of service and the problem seems to have affected airlines in hot and dusty environments adversely. I'm going to add to this, Drew. Mm-hmm. Hawaiian Airlines, I guess, just grounded several of their A321s because of these issues. That's yeah. that's hot. It's not dusty, hot. but Hawaiian is having issues with with the hot engines. I know, what, what was it, probably five, six episodes ago, we talked about airlines in Europe, airlines in India. Who, I, who was mm-hmm. it? Was Egypt. It? Egypt, um, go first. Go go first. Yes. Yep. They, they were suing Pratt and Whitney, and Pratt and Whitney initially said no. There there is no problem. Now they're mm-hmm. they're finally acknowledging that. And yep. this next bullet, go first, which is an Indian LCC. They're suing Pratt and Whitney for its shutdown recently due to several of its forty five aircraft which are out of service. Other airlines which are affected significantly by the aircraft being taken out of service are Indigo with one hundred thirty five planes, Air China with forty six, Volaris with forty four. Spirit, 43 airplanes out of service in the U.S. About a 1,000 of the engines will need to be inspected by Pratt & Whitney, and they expect that the FAA will issue an airworthiness directive to guide the airlines. This is, I I believe, I I think I read it was like the 2015 through 2020 engines that were built, Mm -hmm. but 1,200 engines, that's like 600 airplanes worldwide that are being grounded right now because of this. That's not good. It's not good. These engines, these, and it's not just the PW1000s. These are, we're seeing more problems with these, but we have a friend at GE that says they're also having issues with the CFM Leap engines, which are the new generation. Both of these run very hot. They're way more efficient. Like Patrick said, the, I think these are these are nine to one by, 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 bypass, bypass ratio. ratio. But, but I, I can tell you, Drew, you, you mentioned the running hot when I was on the 7.3, when I was flying the 7.3. Mm-hmm. The max took almost three minutes to start. If you if you took an airplane that had just come in from somewhere else, let's say that the crew pulled in, got off, we get on, start yeah. the engines, it took almost three minutes for those engines to start up because we had to motor them for so long. 
normal 737 engines, like the the NG engines, the the precursor to these engines, took maybe mm. a minute. Oh, They're wow. started, good to go. We're talking about like 300% longer, 200 to 300% longer to start the engines. That's not good for airlines like Southwest who make their money on quick turns. You can't quick turn when the engines take so long to cool down, restart, get out there again. And Southwest, Spirit, Indigo, all these airlines that rely on the quick turns, they're going to end up having a lot of issues with these new generation engines if this is where we're at. One positive, they do look really cool. (laughs) So have you (laughs) seen Patrick? Blades. Well, yeah, and they're big. There's no confusing an A320 with a um, Pratt Whitney 1100G engine. It's much bigger. And Patrick, have you seen them on the A220s? That's all they use. They only use these Pratt and Whitney. I think it's the 1500 on the A220. Sounds like a heavy lift for Pratt and Whitney to get these engines in service. Speaking of heavy lift, cargo carrier UPS got a got a lift this week with their employees union agreeing to a contract that affects 300. Guys, 340,000 workers yeah, at UPS. That's crazy. that's crazy. Looking at this, like without knowing the details, I thought it was just another strike like the LA airport workers or, you know, one airline's pilots. No, this would have, this would have shaken the whole economy, the whole U.S. economy. A strike would have cost the U.S. economy more than $7 billion and caused delivery delays for millions of customers. The Teamsters represent the, these employees. They are taking credit for a tentative five-year agreement with existing full and part-time UPS Teamsters earning $2.75 per hour more in 2023 and $7.50 more over the length of the contract. Existing and new part-timers will also be raised to no less than $21 an hour, which is a good pay. This is the largest private sector contract in North America. The contract needs to be ratified by the employees in August. So it's not done yet, but uh, the Teamsters are pretty confident that their their, uh, members will sign it. It seems like it's a good deal for everyone. And actually, since this came out, every time I see a UPS truck delivering something, I kind of want to go up and congratulate them and say congratulations, because it seems like we've talked about some of the contracts and everything with the airlines. All, all these employees are looking for better quality of life. And it sounds like mm-hmm. these these individuals are getting better quality of life. This could have impacted like you said, the entire economy, but also the aviation sector because UPS flies airplanes. They have 800 some airplanes and a a lot of the packages that we deliver are cargo. They're for the U.S. Postal Service. They're for UPS, FedEx, all all those companies. Our airlines deliver those packages as well. So good on them. Congratulations. This is speaking big picture wise. Every week we're talking about some employee work group getting a new contract. The two of you, you guys are both represented by unions. And Patrick, I don't, you don't have to tell us the details, but I understand the agreement that you guys got. Was it better than expected or? I heard that a lot of people were happy with it. Of course, everybody always wants to try and get more, but. Doug, before we leave, I just want to like, just make sure everyone knows that we were right for years and years when we said that we wouldn't see a downturn, that we would see, you know, maybe a soft landing. And that's what they're saying. So the U.S. economy grew by 2.4%. In the second quarter, that's more than what they expected. A lot of people are now saying, they're joining our club and saying, no, that the, we may be beyond the recession. So that's really good news. Next trip club. It's a good club to join. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> in other good news, we have progress on the NASA Boeing TTBW, which is the <laughs> transonic truss brace wing project of the future, which we talked about several episodes ago. Airlines are now joining in the development. The experimental aircraft is named the X-66A, the Sustainable Flight Demonstrator. It's expected to generate a lower fuel burn and carbon emissions with long wings supported by a strut connected to the fuselage. The high-wing aircraft will use a modified existing MD-90 fuselage and be powered initially by CFM Leap or PW-1000 GTF engines. What did we just talk about? Yeah. The, yeah, we the, just talked the about those. Pratt Whitney 1000 GTF engines. Well, hope, I, hopefully I just, by 2028, they'll figure out what the problem is. That's when, yeah, that's engines. when this airplane is expected to possibly fly. I do want to mention, though, they're using a former Delta MD-90 mm-hmm. as the actual <laughs> body for this mm-hmm. experimental aircraft. And I, I social media blew up the other day because they, they flew it from, I don't remember if it was Huntsville, Alabama, or somewhere. They flew it to California where NASA is going to chop it up and 
put these trusses on, but there was a mm-hmm. Delta MD-90 that was retired two years ago. Hadn't flown since it retired two years ago. They flew it to California. The internet almost crashed. The, the aviation <laughs> internet almost crashed. When right, because we ferried, that's the last when they flight. Ferried, <laughs> yes, when they ferried this airplane. And now this airplane is going to be the prototype for this X-66A. A Delta MD-90 is going to be chopped and put TT. What is it? TTBW trust. Placed. You're so much an av geek. You keep track of every flight that you've flown. Have you flown on this plane? I think it's 903DL or 901DL. I'm I'm sure I have. I actually, you asked me if I have. I haven't had time to look it up with everything that's been going on. That's on my list of things to do. I'm sure that I have actually flown on this airplane. I, I would be curious to see. I'll look it up. We can circle back in another episode or two. But yes, I'm sure I've probably flown in this fuselage, not with the TTBW or WB <laughs> with the, the truss brace wings. All right, let's move on to the rest of the bullets here. Alaska, American, Delta, Southwest, and United, they're all on board with this, according to Boeing. They're going to help give the project information on operational needs, airport compatibility, and flight characteristics so that Boeing can help design this. The Seattle Times reports that two old MD-90 airframes that are going to be used for the prototype, they're taken out of storage. They're now in Victorville, California. Or they were in Victorville. They were moved to Palmdale for the conversion. The MD-90 is previously for previously flew for Delta, as we just mentioned. The first aircraft to be used is going to be called the X-66A. Its fuselage is going to be shortened and new wings will be attached. The second MD-90 will be used for spare parts. Boeing CEO David Calhoun and commercial airplane CEO Stan Deal are saying that this could be the prototype for the next all-new airplane. Is this going to end up being the 797? They actually had a little scale model at the Boeing building at Oshkosh, they were talking about it. They do intend for this to be the 797 and a real replacement to the 737 is what they want it to be. I was talking to them about the to their guy, to the Boeing people about this. That's their plan. Wait, stop. Did he just break some news? Did they actually say it could would be the 797 or you were the guy that the guy that I talked to, he said that it probably will be. Okay. It is not, that's from Boeing. That's a Boeing official. It is it is planned to be they plan it to probably be the seven and the next. I'm shaking. I am shaking my head right now because a 50 year old design, the DC nine fuselage. That's what the MD 90 is. It's a stretched mm-hmm. DC nine fuselage from 1960. Mm-hmm. That is the replacement for the 737, which was also designed in 1960. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. This is the prototype right now. You know that you know that whenever they finally go to production, it's probably going to be composite materials. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not. It's not like they're going to Victorville and they're going to like chop a bunch of DC nines <laughs> yeah. and like pick it's them up with all, cranes. It's going to be all new stuff. It's going to be truss brace wings on them. No, I, yeah. I understand. Yes. No, it's like I, I think we've joked about this before. So, and eventually, this plane is going to have these the CFM rise dual props. So it's like Doug and Patrick. So the future is a propeller driven biplane based on the DC nine. <laughs> <That's the future. laughs> but well, okay. So now they talk about airport, you know, airport configuration, right? What is talk about airport restrictions? This doesn't work, Patrick. This will not work for the move team. The wingspan is 113 feet. A 737, I'm sorry, the wingspan is 171 feet. Foldable. A 737, 800 is 113 feet. Yeah. They better fold. But then that's additional weight. So not only would folding add additional weight, the fuel is stored in the wings. And if you right. fold those wings, it's going to be... Because uh, if you look at the pictures for the for it, they intend for this to be a glider-like wing. Very thin, very long. That's what it looks like. Yeah, so they're going to have to... But I would say if it's thin and long, you can't store a lot of fuel in the wings. If it's, yeah. if, if, if it's thin and long. But you can't use that portion that, that flips up to have fuel in it. I think, no, but cause... fuel fuel doesn't extend all the way out to the wingtips on the okay. KC-46, 777, 737. Yes, most of the fuel is actually in the wings, but it's not yeah. all the way out to, to the tips. They can figure out where to, where to put the fuel. Here's a question, though. The DC-9, the MD-90, the MD-80, that whole, the 717, that whole variant of airplane drew especially asking you as someone mm-hmm. who's worked in operations for airlines who fly these, do they carry a lot of cargo based on the underbelly? They don't. 
They don't. So I don't, no, I don't think. Yeah, but, I, I but, think. And they're going to be short. They're not going to be long range. No, no. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking about the range. I'm asking more about if this is truly the replacement for the 737s, where will airlines go for it? Because, yes, I know the 737 can't fit the same cans that the A320 and A319 and 321 can. At least the 737 can carry more cargo than the MD-90 was able to, mm-hmm. than the 717 can. If that is truly a replacement, are we going to lose some cargo capabilities? Because I, I know we talk about even the minimal amounts of cargo that those small airplanes mm-hmm. can carry. Are we going to lose some cargo capability, especially if the wing is thin and you're going to have to put right. some of that fuel in the body itself? That's going to eat up right. some cargo space. Normally, when there's a new generation airplane, it's a 20% to 25% improvement in fuel efficiency. And I, we talked about this is only a 10% improvement. And I was thinking, we were trying to think of what the word was, which expresses that because things are getting so efficient. It's harder to continue to make it 20%. It's a law of diminishing returns yeah. is what it is because planes are getting so efficient as is. You can only improve so much after a while. And that's what we're seeing. But 10% is 10%. That, that's, that's a lot of money. Patrick, let's get back to uh, your job, the move team at Dulles. Patrick, you move planes around. You're in flight decks. You drive all around the tarmac. I've referred to your group, which is called the Move Team, as the Navy SEALs of the ramp. <laughs> they really are. Because they come from the ramp. Or uh, Are all of the employees from the ramp, would you say, Patrick? Yes, we are all, we are, we've all done time on the ramp because part of the, part of our qualifications, at least at my, at least at our station, probably for our company, is you have to do, you have to do a year on the ramp, which they've okay, relaxed so that time, but you still have to do ramp time to be, because you have to know how to do basic ramp functions like put chocks in, put the PCR and put the power in. You have to know how to do stuff like that. You're not just responsible for that. You're responsible for handling multi-million dollar planes, moving them around. His team, Doug, actually rescues planes that can't taxi for some reason. So if we have an emergency landing and they've lost part of their hydraulics, which may affect the steering, we're talking to airport ops and the emergency people to tell them, to ask them where the move team should meet them so that they can escort them onto the runway. So that's Patrick and his team that does that. So we actually um, just did that uh, yesterday. We actually did have a, we, have, we had a rescue at the airport. So it was a 767-400 coming in from Houston. I didn't get to hear all the specifics about what, what was going on, but I know that we, you know, they went out, they met it as it exited. Yeah, they came in, they came in on the east runway, be one right, and they met them on Kilo and we towed them into the gate. So you move planes, you rescue planes like the what you're talking about right now. And you also work the diversions. Doug, they, these guys work them like they're a pit crew at NASCAR. It's amazing to watch out on remote. I have a question for you. We have some gates in San Francisco that are towing gates just based on what's behind us. If we go to that gate, we can't actually power into the gate. We have to shut down engines and then get towed in. Is that the tow team or is that the, the pushback team? Mm. Who is it that actually, if it's a towing, if it's a towing gate, who does that? So I can't say for sure, just because we don't have those gates here. If I had to take a guess, I would say it would probably be your ramp team goes out there because the move team is also busy pulling aircraft to and from the hangar, to and from mm. remote parking areas. We can't go out and do ramp's job of sure. meet of meet a live flight, which is also not really our job unless we are in a rescue situation. Some of the challenges he has is we have this very ambitious flight schedule. The move team actually makes that happen because we're using 14 international gates, not for 14 flights. What is it, Patrick? We're probably using it for 20 flights. You, you know the better same I know it perfectly. Planes come in and the move team moves them out so that the next international arrival can come in. And then that one leaves first and we bring the other one back. And they're still in the same bank. It's still in the like two, two to three hour period that all of this is happening. Tell us about them. So at the busy international gates, like our busiest ones, like uh, Charlie 2, Charlie 4, those ones are some of our busiest international gates. We're probably towing over there within my shift, probably four or five tow offs off that gate alone. And then there's another inbound after that, which then turns back out. Wow. So that's a total that's a total of six aircraft that go into that gate within a what would that be, a four hour period? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call them they call them hot toes and correct me if I'm wrong, this is where go ahead, Doug. Well, I, I was going to say, can we explain to the listeners, the, they're probably thinking that seems so inefficient. Why would you do that? Let's explain international 
departures can leave from any gate. As long as the airplane can fit at the gate, the international departure can leave. Inbounds cannot go to any gate. Inbounds any have gate. to go to the gates with customs and border protection hallways. You mm-hmm. have, let's say, I'm making up numbers here. Let's say you have five inbound international gates and you have 20 outbound wide body gates. You have to condense your inbounds that go to the gates that CBP is able to get to and then you have to tow the airplane off the gate to go to a gate that they can use for departures am, mm-hmm. am i correct in saying that that's exactly what happens that's exactly why we have to do it that's the people come off people come off the uh ramp dumps the bags they dump the cargo and then we would like it to the from our move team side we would like it to be that we kick cleaners our caterers even our mechanics Maybe. off that aircraft so we can get it off so the next aircraft can come in. But it doesn't yeah. always happen that way. I'm glad you said that. That That's awesome. That actually answers one of my questions because I've had it before. We have an airplane that's being towed to the gate. It came in maybe two hours before, and we get a notification as the crew is saying it's not been cleaned yet. And our question is, well, why couldn't they just clean it when it came in? It makes sense now because they have to get mm-hmm. the airplane off the gate so that yep. they can use that gate for the next crew we end up getting delayed because we have to get catered we have to get cleaned and for us we're like well the airplane has been here for two hours why is it not catered cleaned what's the deal with this but that (laughs) makes sense now because the inbound gates that's what actually drives the constraint for for the entire operation is and and drew has talked about it where you get fined by cbp because you have airplanes that go to gates that don't have Oh yeah, <laughs> don't have customs, and you have people that get right. off the airplane. They don't clear. Yeah, customs. that is a nightmare. That's a nightmare. That's bad. So it's better to have an airplane that's slightly delayed because they have to get cleaned yeah. and catered at their new gate, as opposed to having an airplane that lands doesn't have a, a CVP gate to go to because there's another airplane sitting there. To- makes total sense now. Right. If we're towing it onto the next gate for its outbound departure immediately, like uh, London comes in, it's turning. It go, comes into our international inbound. It's turning out of, you know, all the way down the terminal. We would like it for cleaners and caterers to meet us down, to meet it down there to do all their work. That way we can, because maybe Frankfurt's right behind it. We would like to have it be there, but um, for flights that come in and then they sit for, the aircraft's going to sit for like six hours. We put it on our remote stand and cleaners and caterers can come out there at any point. They can do their work. So that's... Mm also something that they have access to here. I don't know how to, you know, I can't speak anywhere else. They can go, they can clean up out there. This is where the move team, uh, he won't admit it, but the move team is kind of badass because on these hot toes, the plane comes in. Once you see the people with the black uniforms <laughs> and they're very expensive push, seal orange team, push the, tugs. The SEAL Team 6. It's the SEAL Team. <laughs> Once the, they roll up. The airport SEAL Team 6. They don't care. And they have the authority of my department, the station operations, to tell whomever it is. Unless it's an emergency, they got to get out. So maintenance will sometimes want to do an oil service on a triple seven. They say, "Oh no, no, let's just get, just give us a few minutes." No, because even if it's a few minutes, if we're holding Frankfurt, which is coming in behind it for five minutes, several people are going to miss their connections because yeah. they're not going to get in. Because the, the airplane so, is already landed, they're sitting at a, a pad somewhere waiting for the gate to open up. I, I'll, I'll tell the listeners if you're boarding an international flight and you walk straight from the boarding area onto the jetway without going through like a glass door, you are leaving from a non-international arrival gate. That airplane has probably either come in domestically or it's been towed to the gate. That airplane did not come in from an international destination. If you are departing and you're walking through a glass door or some sort of a door with a hallway, that airplane Mm -hmm. either... it. Could have been towed there, but it most likely came in internationally and it's leaving from the same gate. That actually answers probably a lot of our listeners' questions. Why do I sometimes walk through a hallway as I'm boarding the airplane? That yeah, that's exactly why. Their training, they come from the ramp because a lot of the functions are similar, the chocks, the ground power and all that. But Patrick, tell us about the training. How many weeks is it to work on the move team? A lot of it also involves air to ground talking to the FAA and air traffic control? Uh, we do four weeks of classroom portion. Actually, it's uh, five now. It's So there's one week, which is called pre-week, where they just introduce you to what it's like on them and what you know your basic function is. And then week one is um, phraseology and just 
and then you finally get into the real basics, you know, like hold short, hold a beam, clear to cross, you know, all those term, all those terminologies that Doug, you're used to using all the time. Mm. Drew, you're used to hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, week two is our airport map and our frequencies for our airport. We have to know our airport perfectly. Doug, you you fly into Chicago. You got map on your screen. I hate Chicago. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> does. But the, so like the uh, move team in Chicago, I bet you they know that they know that airport or they know at least most of it. They know it perfectly. Yeah, they could tell they you exactly know. where Ace. <laughs> they they better because where ground, Tango is. ground is going to scream at you if if you don't know it perfectly. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. our second week of classroom. This is only half of our day usually. The other half is we are out there. We're learning how to drive the super tug, hook up to the aircraft, do all the outside functions. Uh, week three is the hardest of the weeks. It is you are learning to talk to you learn to talk on the radio, and it's you know the cadence that you have to have and the. You know, sometimes you have to have specific verbiage. We usually have people fail out. At least one person fails out every week. Uh, and then week four is just the final. You go back, you uh, retest all your extra stuff just to make sure that you're good. And then it's off to a month of OJT where you're just attached to somebody who's very veteran in the job. They help teach you what to do. And then you're off as a full team member. So it's two months, but it's more like a year to truly know the job because there's just so much to learn. And I want to give a shout out, Doug, we have a very loyal listener. His name is Steve. He's in Houston and he's also part of the move team. So shout out to Steve. He's listening to this and he's identifying with this stuff, but he's Houston. So he might be like, ah, that's all wrong. We don't do it that way in Houston. <laughs> each, each airport is totally I'm not in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. It's also <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Patrick, we have one more move team subject, which is shear pins. You've got one minute to tell us what it is. So a shear pin to the move team, uh, we don't, shear pins aren't actually really a thing for us because we drive super tugs, which we don't have the actual tow bar. And that's where a shear pin is located. Shear pin is located in the tow bar. It is a, it's a protection device. This, the shear pin is meant to snap before you actually break the tow bar, you break the pushback or you break the plane. Drew and I had a shear pin break on us on one of our flights. We talked about it probably three, three years ago. Listeners yeah, go back. I, I, don't, I don't know what the episode was. Go back and hmm? which, which flight was it? It was it was departing from work in 2021. Yeah, and just for the listeners, Patrick, correct me if I'm wrong. So the shear pin is meant to break before something else breaks. It is meant to break. It's this is a protection device that will break. You'll know it, and at that point, you maintenance going to come out. Just take a quick look. Say, yeah, everything's good. Move on. But why does it break? So it breaks if. Uh, like you start turning too hard or too fast, mm-hmm. it's pretty much just telling you that you are, you're pushing it too hard. You need to yeah. ease up. It's okay if you do. Drew, I think the example that we used when we had the, the shear pin break and we talked about it is like if you're drilling in a screw, you would rather have the drill head strip itself before the screw mm-hmm. strips itself so that you can replace the screw yeah. head as opposed to having to figure out how to get the screw in or out. It's easier to replace one like an, an easy part as opposed to a part that's hard to get in. You would rather have the shear pin on a tug or on the bar break as opposed to a piece on this multi-million dollar airplane, which is about yeah. to fly from San Francisco to Newark or Newark to Athens or wh- whatever it is. You would rather yeah. have an easy to fix piece so that the mm-hmm. airplane can still go. And then you can fix yep. whatever the ground piece is afterwards. And so we have this uh, a lot. We have a lot of flights, a lot of pushbacks. It'll happen sometimes when the ramp turns it too sharply or too fast, or sometimes Which is it'll exactly just exactly what happened to us. Like we turned right. too sharply in San Francisco. True. That's exactly what happened. What happens is maintenance comes out as they did on our flight at SFO. They check the nose gear to make sure it's fine and they release it. So 90% of the time, the airplane is fine. So the shear mm-hmm. pin has done its job and, t- and been the sacrifice, right? So that a triple seven nose gear isn't damaged. Yeah. Well, and it, you and I were sitting, I, we were both window seats. So we were not next mm-hmm. to each other. And I think you and I both texted each other at the same time. And we both shear said, pin. shear pin. <laughs> that was it. Like we, we both knew exactly what happened. Patrick, thanks for being a guest. Thanks for being a loyal listener who is painfully... Well, I don't know why I'm saying painfully. I mean, he's enjoying it, so I'm happy about that. But Patrick has chosen to start from zero, which we started in 2019. And I'm like, sure, listen to the old ones, but then fast forward to the new ones so you can see what we're talking about now. <laughs> he refuses. He refuses. 
So he's on episode 106. We want to make sure that you're not just speed reading. You're not just blowing through the episodes. So we just have a couple questions for you to make sure you're listening. And Patrick does not know what we're going to ask him. Let me go first. Just a quick quiz. One of the topics we had was uh, an Alaska flight that Doug and I took. And this Alaska flight, it's pretty well known. It makes five stops, Seattle to Anchorage. What is it called? The Milk Run. Okay. Okay. Check. Nice. Well, I'm I'm not going to be as easy as Drew because he told me. To remember that. Remember this was about this was about two days ago for me. Uh, okay. Good memory. All right, all right. So yeah, that's an easy one then. Well, Drew told me to come up with five questions. I'm going to ask all five. <laughs> you only have to answer one. Lightning round. It's going to be easy <laughs> for you. Here here are my five. Where did Drew and I go on our first non-rev trip right after I was hired? That's one. Did I ever fly a Max? That's two. What does the term snarge mean? That's three. Has Drew flown on a 717? That's four. And then the last question, what's an aviation? You can answer any one of those five. Oh, good ones. Your first trip, whenever you were non-rev, was... Actually, time out, time out. Drew, if he's going to answer this, where was our first trip? What was the name of the city? Because you call it two things every time. Marysville? (laughs) Myersville? No. Was it Myersville? Patrick, Patrick, where was our our first non-rev? It had an M in it. It had an M. It was Fort Myers. No, it yeah. was not, it was not oh, see, for Myers. Beach, right. it was, yes, he, it was Myrtle He's corrupted Beach. me. I, 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 I heard it all episode. <laughs> it, it, it was not. Uh, thank you. That was what I was getting at. It was not for Myers. Yeah, yeah was, that's where we had to buy t-shirts so we could remember not, where we went. It was not yeah. Marysville. It was Myrtle Beach. That was yeah, perfect. Thank, thank you. <laughs> all right. Pretty good. Your second question. You have flown a Max. You flew it on your, uh, during your OEI or your OE. Okay. Um, you did? Drew, to my knowledge so far in the podcast, has not flown on the 717. Wrong. I don't think he's reached that episode yet. No, he has. He has. I looked Uh, back. You told me what episode he's on. I made sure. mm -hmm. That's wrong. Drew Drew did. Snarch, no. I don't know what that means. What was the last one again? What's an aviation? A drink. No, it's a gin drink. All right. That that was pretty good. Okay. I believe it's gin based. I can't remember the ingredients, though. So he got two. So he gets a t shirt. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right. You should give it to me for Oshkosh. That's all I'm saying. I could have been advertisement. I got one more and we're going to wrap up. What is the aircraft manufacturer that initially was making the A220, that, the aircraft, which is the A220? What was the ma- name of the aircraft manufacturer? And you have to pronounce it properly. Uh, I was going to pronounce how Drew says it. Bombardier. <laughs> I, say it, I, say it right. I say it right. I say it right now. Bombardier. Bombardier. <laughs> All right. Yes, you pronounced it right. Patrick, thanks for joining us. I, I'm jealous that you went to Oshkosh. Like I said, I, I knew that we were having you on, so I was following along with everything. I, I made the list of everything that was there this week. Super jealous. I love Oshkosh. Grew up going there. It was amazing. I got to fly the KC-10 there several years ago. Drew, I know you've you've been there. I, I didn't realize that until now. But yeah, it's been so long. I, I got to go again. It's been so we long. We do. We have to go again. It is It is awesome. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it was great to be here. Next time we tape one of these, we should just, you know, we go to drinking at this place called Jimmy's, this hole in the wall near Dulles Airport. I think what we'll do is we'll just bring this mic, we'll set it down at the bar at Jimmy's and just start talking, and that's the episode. <laughs> no editing. I mean, well, actually, it would be an editing nightmare. <laughs> well, but maybe I can get a, a layover, a short layover, not right. in downtown, where <laughs> yeah. I can join you guys at Jimmy's <laughs> yeah. so we can record. Right, exactly. Thanks again for being on, Patrick. Great to be here. Patrick, thank you. And to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at nexttrippodcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. All right. You can also call our Google voice number to ask a question or just rant about something. The number is 872-529-5620 when calling from the U.S. Make sure to use country code 001 or plus one when calling from abroad. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show.
Doug, I think you froze. Yeah, he froze. Doug froze. Yeah, there. Hello. <laughs> oh. froze. Well, while he's frozen, um, just talk like we're in Jimmy's, and don't don't worry about the pauses because he can he can edit it out. What I'm usually also pausing myself for is so you can keep this family friendly. If you say or it's fine. It's gonna bleep. He's gonna bleep it out. <laughs> we have said that. <laughs> Just don't say it a lot. <laughs> Recently, Doug said, uh, "When what was it? Fit hits the shan." Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did he say that on per? Oh yeah, yeah. He could say yeah. that. 